right? I had 10 brothers and three sisters. That's a big family. And uh, mommy was the disciplined person. Um, she ended up, um, if she couldn't get control of us, you wait till your father gets home, right? Everybody knows that. So um, it was the fact that seven, uh, I was the seventh one. My sister Helen was the second one, so she's nine years older than I. So when I was born, she was so happy she had another female in the family. So I was her little doll. She would look after me, put me in the pram, and take me out and weigh me and, you know, look after me. And uh, the standard joke was when the boys, uh, the first one up in the morning was the best dressed. They had the pick of all the clothes, you know. But uh, anyway, um, I could say this. Um, Mom was Church of Ireland. Daddy was Gospel Hall, uh, but his father was a lay preacher, but he never went. My father wouldn't go into church, into Gospel Hall either. But um, I better watch what I say here now. But anyway, at three and a half years old, I was very, very ill. Nobody knows this, but I was so ill. I was in the Mid-Ulster Hospital being treated for leukemia. And I had seven, uh, seven transfusions. And back then, in those days, um, it was cut-downs. It wasn't just like what you have here with Venflons. It was cut-downs. So I had cut-downs in arms and ankles, side of my leg. And um, they used to bribe me. They had a red rubber train with a black funnel on it. And they said, now, if you're a very good girl, you can have that train, right? Although what happened was the train was taken off me each time and put to the other side. So it was terrible. And back then, mom was, after I was born, a year later, Ruby was born. So mom wasn't at the hospital. I was in the hospital majority time myself. I sometimes would see daddy. And back then, we were, I was in a cot, you know, and there was one other little girl in the room in the, this ward. There was only two of us. And um, she couldn't speak. And she just loved to take the blanket off my cot and she'd climb up in a chair and she'd put it out the window. So I have a drip going, so I can't do anything. And the nurse would come in, where's your blanket? And I would point, and she'd have to go and find me another blanket. You know, and through a couple of months there in the hospital, they finally decided it's not as advanced as it is now. They did a bone marrow, biopsy the bone marrow on my left side, and they found it wasn't leukemia. And ended up, they said, we're going to have to do a laparotomy. And, of course, I'm telling you all this now. Back in the end, they were opening me in the stomach and didn't know any different, you know. But, yeah, they did a laparotomy and found I had a ruptured spleen. I was bleeding internally. It's a miracle. I was saying to my sister about remembering things in the hospital. I was there for Christmas, away from family, and um, the photographs of me sitting in the nurse's arms. And I remembered it all. I remembered it, you know. But I remembered this, having the surgery, my father, he came down, and the wagon wheels back in. Do you remember the biscuits, the wagon wheels? They were huge. Not now. They have. And my father thought he was doing a good thing. He gave me a wagon wheel. Wasn't very good. I was very sick. 
you know. But anyway, I got through the surgery and then I was brought home and I was a wee um, frail, blonde hair, blue eyes, just gorgeous. <laughs> Isn't that right, darling? <laughs> and I was putting a cot downstairs in the living room. Nobody was allowed to touch me. Nobody was allowed to come near me. And uh, there was neighbors, two older girls. She would come and they, they would come and take me and go for a walk with me. And of course, all through my young years, I remembered I wasn't, I was isolated. My brothers and sisters could go to my grannies up on the farm. They could get mucked up and do all those boys' things. But of course, I couldn't. And I was sent to a lady down and her husband down in Balamina. And they were Christians. And I, when I look back and I think, God was so good. Back then, he had planned my life, even though all things were together for good. All those things that happened at me start. I was influenced for the Lord. And um, anyway, what happened was, um, I, Mommy would take us to Church of Ireland. Brethren, Sunday school in the afternoon, 3 o'clock. 6.30 at night, the gospel hall, right? Do you think that, you know, three meetings? And then at 8 o'clock, I would go to faith mission. Bowen and Grant was the pilgrim missionaries up in Cookstown back then, going back now, 1966. So the night that I went to um, town, uh, the Orange Hall, Grant was preaching. And he preached on the cross that night. Now, I had heard the gospel before, but there's one point in time where the Lord just, it's almost like your eyes, the, the, the veil is pulled back, and you actually see you need to be saved. Like I wasn't a bad person. I wouldn't have hurt anybody. I wouldn't have hurt a fly, as the saying goes. But that night, I came to the foot of the cross. And I know that I know that I know that Jesus saved me. Like my, my maiden name was Evelyn Smith. I know that I know I was Evelyn Smith. But that night I knew that I was born again. I was washed in the blood. I was a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that night there was 12 other young people got saved. Like we had a revival that night. And of course we were down. In those days it took you down to a bottom room, and everybody had to pray pray their own prayer. It wasn't say, say this prayer after me. Like, I was a held as a observant sinner. I remember that, you know. But all of us, we prayed that night, and then I got home, and it was well after 9 o'clock, and that was our curfew, you know. And Mommy knew it was in the, the, you know, the orange hall. She says, what kept you? And I said, well, Mommy, tonight I accepted Jesus as my saviour. And my mother said, I hope you can keep it. Do you know, I didn't reply to that because I had the known in my being that I was saved. Like, I mean, I can, I can give you all the, the answers now. We don't keep it. It's the Lord that keeps us. You know, and I would go to the meetings um, I wasn't so much happy with the Church of Ireland because there was no there was no gospel or anything, and Mum said you're going to have to go to confirmation classes. 
Now, uh, I said, no, I'm not. She says, you're living in this house, you'll go to the confirmation classes. So I had to go. And um, the minister, he, uh, he was Reverend Wilkinson then, and he says, well, anything exciting happened to anybody this week? I was just ready for it. I wanted to tell him. So I told him, and I'd been to a meeting and accepted the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And he said, there's no, th- no such thing as saved. You're saved from drowning. It was like somebody had slapped me in the face. I just thought, okay. Mommy says, you're, you're going through with it anyway. And I says, okay, Mom, I'll do what you want me to do, but I'll not be back until it. And all through those years, now I was saved when I was 16. At 17 and a half, I was in the te- Cookstown Technical College. And the teacher said, you know, Evelyn, you'd make a great nurse. I says, I'd love to be a hairdresser. She says, no, Evelyn. <laughs> she did. <laughs> um, and I said, oh, can I wear hairdressers? And she says, Evelyn, there's no future in hairdressing. I wasn't quick to say, women will always have hair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just... So anyway, mum landed me down to White Abbey Hospital, and that's where I was trained in my PTS, enrolled nursing. And I wasn't to come home for three months. Three months, like, that's, that's terrible. But I said, Lord Jesus, if this is your will... Please bring Christians alongside me. That will be an encouragement to me. That would help me, you know, and that we, we could work together in the ward and talk to the patients. You're not supposed to talk to patients. But anyway, there were seven, seven, eight other nurses that were Christians. So when we got together, half six in the morning, we had a prayer meeting before we went into get our breakfast at seven. Now you're talking away back, 69, right, 1969. You wouldn't have got your breakfast now, because you'd had to pay for it, you know. So my first wage on a, on a month was only eight pound, and then 13 pound a couple of months later. So I thought I was doing well, but mommy kept taking the money off me and putting it into a bank account. She left me a wee bit, you know. But, <laughs> but we would go on to the ward at half seven, and there was always one other Christian. So if I was on the ward, maybe Penny Elliott, she was a wee whiff of a thing, she would be either on duty or off duty, you know what I mean, we worked. So we literally loved it. There was three Christian sisters on the, in the White Abbey. And each time we'd go on the ward, for instance, Sister Phillips, there was one, one patient, she was very ill. And Sister Philip says, Evelyn, she's not saved. And I says, leave it, Mrs. Sinclair will look after her. So we looked after and tended her, and we prayed with her, laid hands on her. And she wasn't supposed to make it. She was getting stronger and stronger. Sister kept saying, keep praying, Evelyn, keep praying. I know for a fact, down through my 43 years of nursing, God has brought people across my path. And I keep saying, Lord, you have somebody here that, I, that needs to hear about you. We're only instruments in his hands. I mean, he's only got our mouth, our feet, our hands. And if we don't do it, well, I don't think the flies talk. Sorry about that. But anyway, 
saved <laughs> saved my sister Helen said to me again, Evelyn, you know what you need? You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I said to her, I, that was a, yeah, the, yes, that's right. I'm just, I'm not looking at this now, you know. So anyway, she says, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she says, if you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, she says, you can go through with this. You can, you know, the Lord will give you strength, a strength that you can't do on your own. And she says, come up, go up to her house in Muckamora uh, Antrim. And I went in. She says, Evelyn, we're going to a house meeting tonight. So has anybody heard of Alex Schofield? Yes? So that night we went into the house meeting and um, we, I don't even remember singing choruses. Like we didn't, well, we were all old time songs. I, those just were right down my alley tonight. Sam, isn't that right? Great, great songs. Uh, great. And, um, but anyway, Alex said, there's somebody here that's got something wrong with their bottom of their spine. Right, and I just remember the wee bit. Every six months in the hospital, you had to have a medical. Back then, a medical. And Dr. Wilson was the doctor, and he says, Evelyn, you need to see the surgeon in White Abbey. Right? So, because yeah, this dovetails this wee bit. So anyway, what happens is, um, I went to Mr. Kemp, and he just always seemed to have a lot of marbles in his mouth, you know, that kind of person. And, uh, you know, he was just looking down at you, and I just, so I was the only wee nurse, and I just thought to myself, oh, scary intimidation, you know. Well, that's what I felt like. And um, he said, you need uh, a surgery, and then we need to operate because you have an abscess in the bottom of your spine. And he says, it's so deep that we would have to cut into your right hip. It was going to be pretty serious. So anyway, he says, come back in two weeks. See your parents and come back in two weeks. Right? So I had been up. Yeah. And I went up into Antrim. And my sister went to the house meeting. And Alex Schofield had said, there's something wrong. You know, there's somebody here. Something wrong with the bottom of the spine. And I said to Helen, you told him? She says, I've never met him before in my life. She says, I'm just coming in the same time as you've come in. So anyway, something happened. Just, I can't explain it. I, he says, if you stand to your feet right now, the Lord's going to heal you. And I said, he didn't know me, but the, the Lord knew me. Helen didn't, she definitely assured me she never met him before. And I said, okay, Lord. And I stood up. He came over with just a magazine. He didn't touch me with his hand. He just said, in Jesus' name be healed. That was all. And I just, I went down like a, you know, a rag doll on the floor. But that time that I lay there, the surgeon Jesus was working on me. I could only describe that. It was like somebody had put a hot poker into the bottom of my spine. And with that sensation, the words was coming, I am the Lord that healeth thee. 
I am the Lord that healeth thee. It was like getting and louder and louder and louder. I knew, I knew, I knew. Jesus was there. It, you know, it had to be the Lord. And when I got back up and sat down on the chair again, my sister said to me, she says, how do you feel? I says, well, the Lord's healed me. The Lord's healed me. Now, when the Lord heals you, do you think the devil quits there, right there, and says, go ahead, you're healed, let you go. But he comes along with symptoms, right? Pains, aches, and he tries to uh, convince you, you didn't get healed. No, that's your imagination. Jesus didn't do that, you know. And you only thought that, you know. So anyway, I had to take the consent form back to the surgeon. Now, for seven days, until I seen the surgeon, I was having my back dressed three times a day. But nobody could take the words, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Every single time, I would, when I came from the ward on my break, and the sister, Phillips, would say to me, you all right? I said, yes, great. So the day came that I had to face Mr. Kemp. I wasn't scared. I was just ready for him. I just thought to myself, you go ahead, Mr. Mr. Kemp. I handed the piece of paper to him, and he took the piece of paper, and he hadn't signed it. And he signed that piece of paper. He was really, okay, nothing saying it. He was horrible. So I said, I'm not signing it. I said, you have to examine me. I've already examined you. I've already said to you what has to be done. I says, I'm not signing it. You're going to examine me again. And he says, get in there. You know, that's just what he did. So I went in. He examined me, and I came back out, sit down in front of him. And he says, okay, what's happened? And I says, well, I went to a house meeting, and this man laid hands on me. And the Lord told me he had healed me. He said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And I says, I've got a miracle. And I, he says, I've never heard of a miracle until now. And he took the piece of paper, and he says, get out of here. That's what happened. No follow-up, nothing. Out I went. Victory. I got it again and again. You know, I mean, literally. But you have to stand your ground. You don't capitulate for one minute. You know, you pay, he paid the price, you know, and by, your, by his stripes you're healed, you know. But anyway, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, I have baptism. I forgot about the baptism. Helen, my sister again, she's like, I mean, she's nine years older than me. She was looking after me. Um, and I went up and she says, Evelyn, you're going to get your baptism tonight. And she says, you go into that corner of the room, she would get to the other corner. And we, she says, we're going to start praising the Lord and thank him for all the things that he's done for you. And literally ended up, that's exactly how it was. I thought, okay, I'm coming up for the baptism. I went up for my healing. I'm going up for my baptism as well. So I was down praising the Lord. We just were caught up and praising the Lord, thanking the Lord for his mercy and his grace, his blood that washed me, you know, and for healing me. 
I didn't know hours passed, about three hours passed, and my sister came over and she says, shh, Bertie's sleeping. Her husband was sleeping upstairs. I was speaking in tongues for two hours, solid, never stopped, never stopped. You know, the comforter, the, the, your Holy Ghost is your strengthener, your comforter, the one that's called si- alongside to help you. He walks with you. He doesn't let you leave you on your own. Every single day, whatever you have to face, I don't think I could do this tonight. I don't think I could have done a lot of things tonight if I hadn't the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You know, and with having the baptism, I was finishing my training, coming up to my training, and I said, Lord Jesus, I would love to meet someone that loves you. I'd like to be married. You know, the Lord gives you the desires of your heart. And his desires can be your desires, you know. And I, first of all, went to, um, I think it was the Day of Triumph. It was down in the Faith Tabernacle, and they were showing the crucifixion. I said, no. And a certain person that's not too far away, he was sitting beside these two girls. I thought he was their father. He had a bushy beard, he had a bushy beard, and his hair was kind of wild looking. Um, serious. Um, and uh, I never paid any heed. I never, wouldn't have, I was only at a meeting, right? So anyway, I was in an apartment with this other Christian girl, and these other, they were all engaged. I was the only one that wasn't going with anybody. And so Trevor Strain was selling insurance. And... Uh, he came up, of course, the nurses are we pushovers, you know, insurance. So anyway, Trevor says, you come to a meeting as a party down in Faith Tabernacle. So Margaret and him and his wife went down. I was the passenger, and I thought, that's fine. And, oh, dear, this person came into the room, and he had a charcoal grey suit on him. His beard was pretty you know, trimmed down, and his hair wasn't as totally bushy, you know, but, um, and one minute he was standing straight up and down, and the next minute he was cross-legged on the floor, and I thought, is he mad? Is he mad? But anyway, do you remember, the uh, the older ones would remember, uh, a farmer wants a wife, right? Well, in those days, they, they played that. Yep, yep. And the child wants a nurse. Who was the child? <laughs> yep. Yep. And who did he pick as a nurse? Yep. Okay, darling, don't you, you can talk all you want afterwards. <laughs> so, so anyway, that night Trevor and Margaret were leaving me home. But Trevor deliberately got two people in the car. So I couldn't get into the car. It was a very small car. And he says, you go over and stand at that car there. I hadn't a clue whose cars it was. There was five of us, including the driver, which was him. And he was dropping everybody off, right? So Alana and I were the last two to get off at Clockfern Corner. And uh, Willie's the taxi driver, you know, for the church. <laughs> so, so anyway, I was... Jumping out as quick as anything because of the back seat. And uh, he says, where do you live? And I says, I'm over at Clockfern Corner. He says, too, bu- too busy a road. 
Get in and I'll drive you across. I shouldn't have got in. But anyway, he persuaded me and I got in to the car. And I got into the, the passenger seat, right? So he drove me across the road. And uh, very small talk. I never really, you know, I don't remember what he said very much. Except I do remember this. Uh, how old are you? Do you remember that? Huh? No, 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 no. That's my name and banger. I told you you weren't to talk. <laughs> so, so what happened is, I said, uh, mind your own business. I did. I honestly did. And uh, he says, now, I'm being serious. He says, how, how old are you? I says, well, I'm 20. He says, when are you 21? Uh -huh. And I, this was December 71, so I says, the 10th of April, 72, I'll meet you on the 11th of April. That's what he said. Now, he's never told anybody that. So, and I said to him, you'll be waiting a long time. <laughs> I really did. But of course, you know, he talked and he, you know, kind of sweet-talked me. He says, now, okay, I really didn't mean that. He says, would you like to go out tomorrow night? And I says, no, I'll not be here. And he says, well, the next night. And I says, well, I'll be in Antrim. So anyway, two nights later, he picked me up in Antrim, Muckamore. There's a big tree up there. But the night before we went out, the Lord showed me uh, the whole date, the whole date. That was strange, very, very strange. But anyway, he picked me up. We drove to Bangor, to the Winston Hotel. It's not there anymore. To the Winston Hotel. And he ordered two coffees. And I went into the ladies. I was nervous. Talk about nervous. Uh, I thought, my goodness. You know, I didn't know him from Adam, except that you know, we were having a date. I knew he was William, but I didn't know his last name. Right? So anyway... <laughs> So anyway, I went into the ladies. I got locked in the ladies. Twenty minutes. He sent the wait. He sent the waitress in to find out where I was. the The handle was broken. So you know, you know the old tail combs. They had to use the metal tail comb to open the door. So when I come back out, the coffee was cold. So anyway, we walked. I we walked out and into the car. Out to the car, and he drove out of Bangor, and. Uh, this is a very exciting. You should be all these young people sitting on the edge of your seat in. <laughs> really? <laughs> but anyway, what happened was we, he drove out and he parked the last car park as you go out of Bangor. Newton Ard is that way. Belfast straight on. And I says, what are you parking for? He says, I've got to ask you a question. And he says, Evelyn, what's your second name? And I says, Evelyn Smith. I shouldn't tell him what you said after that. Okay, well. <laughs> he says, Evelyn Smith, pull the other leg, it's bells on. Do you remember? Everybody's Smith on the first date. Do you remember? <laughs> now, this is to make you just settle down, you know, so that you can get used to me talking. <laughs> so anyway, he says, Evelyn Smith, will you marry me? Just like that. And I says, yes. And it's like the known and known and known. I've had so many knowns now have had me. 
the salvation, have had my healing, have had my baptism. Now I've got the man. <laughs> it's actually nine months from the day the Lord gave me the verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I literally ended up, I, I didn't want to meet anybody. I wanted to go to the meetings. I would go to Clockburn, um, Sammy Workman's down on the Congregational. And I would go down there and we'd go for the all-night prayer meeting. I was at every one of those meetings. And I thought to myself, okay, Lord, I'm doing what you asked me to do. And when Willie said, will you marry me? I said, yes. And two weeks after we were um, engaged, well, we were, no ring was on that finger yet, Willie had got 500 pounds for the Ministry of Agriculture to buy five cows. He bought four cows, right? He kept the other money for to buy the engagement ring. And he'd tell you, isn't that right? So we met in Belfast and we went into Enlander's Jewelers and the Corn Market. And he bought my engagement ring. And it was £100. And he said to the jeweler, he says, any nurse's discount? <laughs> I should have realised, you know. Mm -hmm. So it kind of did pay for some of her, for something to eat, didn't you? And then you put me on the bus to go back up to White Abbey. <laughs> you know, so, oh, the last of the big spenders. <laughs> But you know something, um, literally ended up at the end of um, January, kept saying, we're going to get married. And I said, you can't do that. End of February, we're going to get married. And I said, you can't do that. And he says, March came in the middle of March. Now, literally, we were only married four months. We weren't going with each other four months. And we were married. We were up to Cookstown. And um, he said to mum, he says, I want to marry Evelyn. And he says, how long would it take for you to arrange it? And she says, give me three weeks. He says, well, she says, we'll have her. She'll marry, she'll marry you on her, t on her 21, 21st birthday, 10th of April, 1972. You know, and every single thing for mum, mummy had an insurance policy due. It paid for my wedding dress out of McKillen's. It wasn't very dear, but and three bridesmaids' dresses, £10 each, out of Richard's shop on the Royal Avenue. Our, our, our reception was one, 175 ahead. We'd gone at the decimalization. 75 guests, you know. And you know something? Every detail, every detail, even when we went on our honeymoon, we'd bought all the, the presents for the bridesmaids and the mother and mother-in-law. And Willie, we had no money left. He didn't tell me we had no money left. And he said, Lord Jesus, I can't tell Evelyn I have no money left. And literally, a knock came to the door, and this man came, it was at the door. And he said, I know what it's like to be in your honeymoon and run out of money. Like, I mean, he's not even a saved man. You know, how Willie, how we met him was in the carousel. The, the the case was coming round, and Bobby said, "That's my case." And he, he was Bobby O'Dowd from uh, Wexford, in a rental dealer. So he said, "And by the way, he says, I've hired a car tomorrow. Would you and your wife, you and your husband, like to come out with us?" 
every single thing. You know, to, oh, and I forgot to tell you. <laughs> Willie had to pay 118 pounds. Tell me, tell me the things, the details. When I say the details, we went on our honeymoon to Mallorca. 118 pounds for two weeks, right? Half board. That's pretty good. And the, 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 the travel agent phoned him up and he said, he has to have 108 pounds in by four o'clock. That was the bells uh, by four o'clock on Friday for the wedding was Monday, right? And he said, Lord, if this wedding isn't your will, give, I need a miracle. A man drove into the yard and he said, do you own those trees up on that farm? And he says, yes. And he says, will you sell them? And Willie says, yes. How much do you want? And Willie says, 75 pounds. He got the 75 pounds cash. He wanted cash. And another man drove in and he wanted a bull calf. We only kept the female calves. And he bought the calf. Willie was down that road, quick as you could say, Jack Robinson. And he paid, got the tickets. Do you know what I mean? It's not odd, this God, isn't it? It's not a coincidence. You know, and we've, we've seen it. We've, we've, um, we had two, we, I lost two babies, two miscarriages, and then we had, um, I was expecting Jason. And four days in labor in Dundonald, and they asked him, would he like his wife or child? I didn't know that I couldn't have a, a normal delivery. And Jason, eight pounds, 12 ounces, he, he wasn't a wee skinny thing, you know, and emergency C-section. Then, um, from then on, it was going to be sections. And Stephen, a year and eight months later, born C-section. And then we waited a wee while, 73, 75, and 1978. And then I was pregnant with Christopher. And Christopher was eight pounds, six ounces. Now, when I was carrying him, they kept saying he was a change of birth. The heartbeat was fast. They had no scans back then, so... You know, um, it's literally just sound, listening, and um, no jelly belly scans ever there, either. And Christopher was born eight point six ounces, and big bruiser. And twenty four hours after he was born, he turned blue. And they rushed him down to the prem, um, in nursery. And um, a couple of hours after that, the doctor said. It was a surgeon come up and he says, your baby's got a hole in the heart, but it's not conclusive yet, but he's pretty seriously ill. And, you know, we'd seen a miracle of a wee baby in the church and she'd have murmured the heart. Remember, Robert, uh, Roberta and Harry? And uh, the Lord healed her. And I says, you know, Lord, it's not impossible for you not to heal Christopher. But anyway... Very, very soon after the next morning, that's after 24 hours, the sister in the ward said to me, Evelyn, you'll have to go down and see your baby. You'll regret it. But I didn't know when I was going down to see Christopher. He had a little box over his head, and he was black from his feet up. He was just, you know, and a couple of hours before, you know, he was gone. And I just, I thought, okay, and 
then within a short time, he was gone, 48 hours. And I remember one really horrible wet day, it must have been maybe the next day, you know what, our weather can be miserable, the rain coming down, and, and I was crying, and I was praying in tongues. And that was my strength then. And I remember looking out, and the miserable, miserable, miserable. And I says, Lord, you let me carry him for, you know, for nine months. You let me feel all that kicking. And, you know, we were looking forward to him. You know, a baby, we didn't know it was going to be another boy. And I says, Lord, there's got to be a reason for this. And it was like somebody had pulled curtains back, and there was this bright sunshine coming through. And the Lord spoke to me and says, I let you borrow him for 48 hours. I let you borrow him for 48 hours. That immediately was like, that, uh, all, you know, a what, why? All those whys were settled in my head. I went immediately to the phone and I phoned Willie and I says, Willie, the Lord spoke to me. And he says, I'll let you borrow him for 48 hours. And he says, Evelyn, he was, he was crying too. And I says, you know, we have to hang on to that. We know that we know that the Lord had a reason for that. Sister on the ward was a Christian that looked after me in Johnson House in the Royal. And she kept saying to me, Evelyn, she says, are you okay? And I told her. She says, Evelyn, that will bring you through the next few days, months. She says, you just lean on that and know that the Lord had a reason for that. Little did I know, within a matter of weeks, the two boys, Jason and Stephen, went to, round to Granny's on the other side of the bungalow. And I was lying. I'm telling you all this for a reason, because there's somebody, you know, if you've lost a baby, you, you kind of think to yourself, I've known mothers that have turned their back on God because this happened. And I believe the Lord speaks to people and can speak to people if they're listening, if they want to hear. And in this dream, I was standing in the kitchen of the bungalow and a knock came to the door. And I opened the door, and this young man was standing there in his 20s. Dark curly hair. It, it was like somebody had given him a perm. Jason and Stephen were blonde and tanned. They had a jaundice. Christopher had curly hair and swarthy complexion, right? And he came in, and he was dressed in this lovely suit, and he was immaculate. But I knew by his eyes, because I had 15 minutes alone with Christopher after he was born. And I could, and I'd seen his eyes, I knew it. You know, and you know some people, like in the, in the uh, COVID, you're looking at the mask and you're saying, there's a lot of people I picked out, well, he kept saying, how did you know? I said, I knew them, I knew them. But I knew Christopher. And I says, Christopher, what are you doing here? And he says, I've come to tell you I'm working for the Lord. And I've got to tell you, I'm all right. You don't have to worry about me. Like some mums have lost babies, and they're thinking there's these wee babies all up in heaven. Right? And who's looking after them? But they're not babies anymore. I don't believe they're babies anymore. They're young people, the young adults. And um, 
Anyway, he wanted to see Jason and Stephen, and I called them, Jason, Stephen, come up and see your brother. So they come up in their pedal, pedal cars. This was all in a dream. Jason, Stephen was in his red and yellow pedal car, and Jason was in his army pedal car, and they came up, and he was talking away to them, and there was such a presence of the Lord, such an absolute presence of God. And I was busy talking, but unbeknown to me, I didn't know Willie had come into the room. And he says, Evelyn, are you okay? And I says, Christopher was just here. Christopher was just here. And he says, really? And I says, and I described it all to him. And I know that I know that I know Christopher <coughs> is in heaven and he's working for the Lord. He's working for the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I have to remember this one thing. When God gives you a scripture, you hang on to it. His word does not return void. It produces life. When I got saved, it was life with a capital L. You know, and when I got healed, it was the Lord's word. It produced life. Baptism, the Holy Spirit, oh my goodness. Treasure, if you can get that, if you can seek God and get your baptism, you'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. And literally ends up, um, I'm just trying to think what I have to say. Oh, I, down through our years, the Lord's never seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread. We've been in situations where we think to ourselves, we didn't have, farmers would have plenty of cows, land, but they're cash poor, the same goes. And I remember one time we were, we were down to moldy Ritz crackers and mixed pickles. And we ended up, you know, we didn't have any. And my brother had come to stay with me from Cookstown and he wasn't saved. And he kept saying, oh, you're so-called Christian, you know, and he was... And we used to pray over these moldy Ritz crackers and say, Lord, thank you for this food. And three, that went on for three days until one night at 10.30, Trevor Strain, who's with the Lord now, Trevor came to the back door and he says, the Lord spoke to him three days ago to come. And he says, but sure, well, he's a farmer. He doesn't need the money. And the Lord said to him, I'll get somebody else. Now, for three, I had enough groceries to I had enough money to buy groceries for three weeks. I love this Iceland, buy one, get one free. <laughs> but you know, every and my sister, my brother Timothy, he was sitting, and he didn't like us to preach to him. We went to a prayer meeting, and he was sitting, and well, as soon as we got out through the door, he got ready to go to bed. I'll get away from them. They'll not preach to me. I'll be in bed and sound asleep and when we came back from the prayer meeting that night Timmy, all the lights were on in the house and we went in and he was crying and I says Timothy you alright he says yeah I'm, I'm alright now he says I went to bed to get away from you because I didn't want to hear you preaching to me and he says when I turned off the light he says this presence came into the room and he says, before I realized I was on my knees at the side of the bed, asking Jesus to come into my heart. You know, 
It's not impossible. Some people, you can't talk to them about the Lord, but you can talk to the Lord about them. You know, I pray for my, my loved ones. They're not saved yet. And I'm saying, Lord, change their heart of stone to heart of flesh so that you can change them and save them. My dad, he had never gone to, to, to church and it ended up, his heart stopped 40 times, actually. 34th time, Willie McRae was Macrofelt, you know. So, and Daddy sent for him. At half six in the morning, the 34th time, he defibbed him. And he came back and he, he said, okay, now's the time I need to get saved. And he got saved. And Daddy had 11 brothers and one sister. So he told most of his family, his brothers and siblings, that he'd got saved. And then he told all of us that he'd got saved. And he told Willie McRae, when I go, I want you to preach at my funeral. He says, everybody knows me as Sam, the, the best. He could help anybody out of trouble, do anything for anybody. But they didn't know that I'm saved now. And anyway, the 40th time, Daddy's heart, didn't he didn't revive. And of course, 700 people was at his funeral. So it was a big funeral. You know, well, I, I'm trying to remember that course. Don't try to tell me that God is dead. He woke me up this morning. Don't try to tell me that God is dead. He lives within my heart. He's, he is, he loves every single one of you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. You've got to trust him. And these days, I mean, I've just been in second heaven all day. This, I love the prison worship in here. And you, uh, oh, if I could bottle it up and take it back to Letter Kenny with me, I would do it. But I keep thinking to myself, you, you've got so much here potential to reach all those, these people in here in Ballinahinch. You know, keep praying for them. Don't, don't let go of them. Don't, there's somebody, somebody's loved one, somebody's son, daughter, granny, granda that needs Jesus. You know, and time is short. Time is short. I love to sing, I love that old, um, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. You've got to trust him. You've got to trust him. Okay, Willie, it's your time. Come for it. Okay. Huh? Yes?
Uh, oh, uh, yes, I was going to, I'll do this and then I'll, I'll read this wee bit here. The Lord give me. Now, of course, <clears throat> try your... <clears throat> Ready? God can do it again and again and again. He's the same God today as he always has been. Yesterday, night, forever, he's always the same. There's no reason to die. God can do it again. Time after time I hear people say to me, why don't we see miracles like we used to see? I still believe in miracles. God hears us, hears us when we pray. God is back. God is God back yesterday, and God is God today. God can do it again, and again, and again. He's the same God today as he always is. Yesterday, not forever, he's always the same. There's no reason to die, but can do it again. You've got God to meet you here. So what? Oh, please, Lord. <laughs> You've got God to meet you here, so why not trust in him? God has done it all before, he'll do it all again. He really is much more willing than I can ever say to perform a mighty miracle in your life today. God can do it again and again and again. He's the same God today as he always has been. Yesterday, not forever. Can do it again, God can do it again, and again, and again. He's the same God today as he always has been. Yesterday, not forever, he's always the same. There's no reason to die, God can do it again. <laughs> Just before I close, I find this, and it's very apropos. You are mine, I made you. I have bought you, I own you. I control you, I will fight for you to, to retain what is mine. What will a mother do to protect her baby? Men go to war to protect their family. There's nothing you will do regarding your own things. I own you, you are mine. The world doesn't own you more than your closest friend. I love you with an everlasting love. I will look after you because I love you. I am at the front door and I am at the back door. I've written your name on my hand. Stop worrying about yourself. I'm looking after you for time and eternity. Follow me. I say to the devil, he is mine, she is mine. I say to all people, you are mine, you are precious. And I say, you are mine. You are mine. Jesus, Lord, tonight, Father, I pray, Lord Jesus. You, I'm yours, Lord Jesus. 
And Lord, I thank you, Father, for washing me in the blood, Lord, for making me your child, Lord. You've looked after me. And Father, Lord, 70 years, Lord Jesus, every single day of my life when I open my eyes in the morning, you're waiting for me to open my eyes, Lord Jesus. You're saying I've got something exciting for you today. Lord Jesus, in some way, Lord Jesus, Father, I ask you, Lord, let your word go forth tonight, Lord. Speak to hearts, Lord. I pray for those, the Lord, that needs the peace, Lord, that only comes from you. Father, Lord Jesus, touch them in their minds and their bodies, Lord Jesus. Father, Lord, keep your their minds dead on you, Lord Jesus. Father, you said that round about and underneath of the everlasting arms, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your protection on this church, Lord. Every single member of it, Lord. Every child, Lord, is yours, Lord. The babies, Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. Jesus, we give you glory tonight, Lord, for every single, every single thing that you've done through our lives, Lord, and are going to do, Lord. They've got a great future ahead of them, Lord Jesus. But Father, keep their eyes looking up, Lord. But soon and very soon, Lord, we're going to see you come, Lord. And Father, Lord, we're looking to that day, Father. Until that day, Lord Jesus. Father, we'll work for you, Lord Jesus. We'll love you. We'll give you the glory, Lord. We'll give you the glory and honor and praise for who you are, Lord, in our lives and in this church. Thank you, Jesus.